And Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's be seated. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here and uh, have a day that uh, is a little less smoky than it was uh, a couple, three days ago. Uh, a blessing, uh, again, to see you all here and uh, to have uh, the Caledonian Pipers and uh, our special celebration of the Kirken of the Tartans that will happen later on in our service. The uh, words there that I opened with, uh, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, of course, those words, you know, come from the Sermon on the Mount, and they inform for us Jesus' actions in uh, today's gospel, where we see him stepping outside of the law so that he may fulfill the law. And in doing so, he helps us individually and collectively to understand what God wishes for those who are called into his kingdom. Today, we see him flouting the rules of decency and sanctity, the proscriptions that regard who can be touched and who can be declared clean and holy before God are put to the test, and the Pharisees are scandalized by what they see. Then, as now, divine mercy leaves the gatekeepers flustered and confused. One of our New Testament scholars poses this question. Why? Why must the pure always be full of contempt for the impure? Though Jesus' words today are few, if you go through that passage again, it doesn't say much, but his actions speak volumes for us. In a sense, brothers and sisters, he has already preached the sermon, and I'm just here to open it up just a little bit. But the sermon is already laid before you. For in that passage, he has shown us the four principles of divine mercy. Call, communion, restoration, and resurrection. Each one of these principles touches a life in today's proclamation of the good news. But of course, the gospel is not merely a story to be held at arm's length or something to be examined. No, the gospel is something for us to embrace and to bring into ourselves because in the gospel story, we find ourselves. In it, we experience call and communion. In it, we experience restoration and resurrection. And by it, we are changed. So let us enter into the story through the eyes of our evangelist, a tax collector who was minding his own business until the man from Nazareth looked upon him and said, follow me, follow me. It is a call and an invitation to one who at that time was outside the boundaries of respectable society. And yet it is also a call and invitation into a new society. Matthew didn't know it, but he was entering the body of Christ, a body in which we too are members. 
We too belong to this new society whose ways still confound the world. I'm always uh, surprised when there is a, 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 a public and sort of newsworthy example of Christian faith and witness, and so many people are astounded at what has happened and what they see happening. Pope Francis washes and kisses the feet of 12 young men and women in juvenile detention, and people are amazed. Javika Wallace Hawkins, a mother in Grand Rapids, Michigan, stands up in a courtroom and forgives her son's killers, and people are stunned. But this is what it means to be called. This is a principle of divine mercy on display. And the call is merely the beginning, for Jesus seeks communion. He joins Matthew and his friends for dinner, just as he joins us today in our celebration of Holy Communion. Divine mercy does not stand at a distance watching us go along. It comes to be with us. In that passage, Jesus breaks bread with them, and today he breaks bread with us while at the same time being the bread that is broken for us. In today's story, Jesus' mere presence among the diners and the tax collectors and the sinners is scandalous. But imagine, imagine how they must have felt to have Jesus with them. What must Matthew have thought as he heard the debate going on between Jesus and the Pharisees, those leaders who would never think to share a meal with him and his friends? They were the righteous ones. And again, the question is asked, why must the pure always be full of contempt for the impure? Why do these ones who are appointed to uphold the law sometimes find themselves unable and failing to grasp the deep meaning and purpose of the law? Go and learn what this means, Jesus says. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. This is an important phrase in Matthew's gospel because it appears twice. This passage and in the 12th chapter. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. But of course, in our readings, we can see that Hosea said it first, 800 years before Jesus. And he was only speaking what God had told him. That passage says, thus says the Lord, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Indeed, brothers and sisters, our worship is vital. Our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving and our vows made to the Most High are vital. But God demands more. That is why after calling us, he comes to abide with us, to show us through Jesus Christ the way of divine mercy. And yet as much as he calls out to us, follow me, come to me, do we not also call out to him? Do we not, like the bleeding woman, reach out 
in faith and say, Lord, have mercy. Lord, grant me healing. Lord, restore me. This is the great prayer. This is the, the, the Kyrie that we often sing in our service. This is the prayer that rings out from the depths of despair and affliction. The prayer that is said in hospital beds and in sick rooms by bodies overwhelmed by cancer and by injury. Lord, have mercy. But it's not always just and only the great and sort of enormous circumstances that call forth this prayer. Some of us can just get up in the morning, right? On the wrong side of dead and just say, Lord, have mercy. Can you get me right before I have to face the world today? Lord, have mercy. Lord, grant me restoration. The third principle of your divine mercy. Let me re-enter the fellowship of my people. And so the woman reached out and she touched the cloak of Jesus. And what did he say to her? Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Your faith, the faith that was seen in Abraham, has made you well. But Jesus cannot stop there with this woman and this crowd. There's a grieving family that is waiting and a fourth principle of divine mercy that is yet to be enacted. And he who touched and was touched rather by one who was unclean, this is what the woman who had the bleeding for 12 years, unclean, imprisoned by isolation and shame, touched him. And he who was touched by one unclean must now touch the dead girl who would be deemed unclean. And by this act, he too would be defiled. But our Lord presses on, undeterred, he does not be affected. He is not affected by that. He who is touched by the unclean is able to make the unclean clean. And so he presses on undeterred. For he, as I said, has come to fulfill the law and the prophets, to bring to life the ancient words and reinterpret them for a new people who are us gathered here today, that new people. Imagine the scene there in the room. In fact, you don't really have to imagine it so much. Just look at the cover of your bulletin. You see it there, in that beautiful image from the National Children's Hospital in Dublin, Ireland. Imagine Matthew standing to the left and peeking into the room and bearing witness. Imagine him hearing Jesus' words spoken in their common tongue. Talitha, kum, little girl, get up. Imagine that she who was declared dead rises up alive in resurrection. The fourth principle of divine mercy is revealed. And here the resurrection is physical, but all of us know of spiritual resurrections of people who have been, in a sense, dead to the world and yet have been brought back to life through the divine mercy of Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, Jesus has preached a sermon for us in this passage. 
And it's a mighty sermon that we can benefit from revisiting and studying and embracing because in it we can see the four principles of divine mercy enacted and made real. Call, communion, restoration, and resurrection. To fulfill the law, he had to step outside the law. And in doing so, he continued his own journey of divine mercy that began in the incarnation. God's divine mercy expressed for humankind. His journey that continues in love and sacrifice on the cross of crucifixion. And divine mercy coming yet again through his resurrection and his ascension so that forever and for all time he can stand ready to hear our heartfelt prayer, have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy. Lord, show us your love and mercy, for we put our trust in you. Amen.